0: following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. We are uh, currently in the middle of a renovation project in our student space. In fact, just across from the parking lot we have what we call the Fuge. It's where our middle schoolers meet on Sundays, one right now, 10:30, and at 12 o'clock on Sundays. And then Wednesday nights at seven, we have our high school group that meets there, and uh, we're almost done. We're heading towards being done with this renovation project. And we're at the stage in the project where uh, we can see the finish line. We can see what it will be when it's finally done, but there's these finishing details. There's these last-minute touches. And uh, we have this amazing group of volunteers who's been at it, just working tirelessly, vo- volunteering their time to make it happen. And it feels like every time we check off something on our checklist, there's something that we forgot that we have to add back on. So it feels like we're just not making headway. If you've gone uh, or done a renovation project in your home or uh, maybe if you've seen one of those HGTV shows where they're doing renovations, uh, I wonder: are there any uh, are there any property brothers people in the house? Anybody here? You're a property brothers person? Maybe uh, flip or flop? Is that maybe you like that? Or uh, my personal favorite: my wife hooked me on it. It's fixer upper, uh, by far the best. Uh, and these these shows they they just kind of take you through a renovation project that takes place. And I want to show you my favorite part from the renovation project we're doing in our student space. So here's the first picture I want to show you. That is the back of the the Fuge, the very rear of it. If you walked in, it's what you would see at the far end of it. And then a few hours later, after much work, this is what it looked like. So there you go. Uh, That is the discussion room and storage space that used to be there, absolutely demolished. And between those two pictures was a whole lot of fun. Uh, it was crowbars and sledgehammers and doing things to walls that you were taught from childhood you were not to do. And who doesn't love doing that? I thoroughly enjoyed getting to demo that room. And every renovation that you encounter, every renovation you do at home, or any renovation you watch on television, it always begins with demolition. Just imagine for a moment if you were trying to renovate your kitchen and you insisted, you know what, I'm not going to remove the old kitchen. I'm just going to build the new one on top of the old one. That wouldn't work too well. You have to remove what's old. You have to demolish it to make room and make space for the new. Every renovation begins with demolition. In Psalm 1, which is the passage that we're focusing in on the next, the, these four weeks of this series, kind of just focusing and zeroing in on this passage, in Psalm 1, it begins, interestingly enough, with this idea of demolition. As it describes what it looks like to live a blessed life, a fulfilled and joyful life, it begins with this call to remove some things, to create some space, to do some demolition, to make room for something better. I want to show you what. Um, So uh, go ahead and take a look at Psalm chapter 1. Now, last week, if you were here with us, we had some homework the homework was to memorize Psalm 1, and I know all of you are overachievers. Not only did you memorize Psalm 1, you memorized Psalm 2. Uh, so uh, just by show of hands, who, who memorized at least one verse of Psalm 1? Memorize at least one. Okay, who memorized all of Psalm 1 so I can call on you to come and cite. Si- no takers? All right, uh, here's what I'll do. I'm just going to read Psalm 1. If you weren't able to memorize it, hey, keep working at it this week. It is a worthy task Spend some time internalizing, treasuring God's word in that way. So Psalm 1, the verses will be on the screen. Check out what this says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1, if you were with us last week, we described it in kind of this overarching big picture view that the message of Psalm 1 is the way to a blessed life, the way to a life that is full of joy and happiness that's abiding. A kind of joy that isn't dependent on whether the circumstances around you are good. It's just this abiding joy. The key to that, the prescription for a blessed life, is a commitment to live life God's way. Now, as a pastor, you'd expect me to say something like that. We even talked about how, of course, in church, we're going to say, joy and blessing comes by living God's way. Nothing that's a surprise there. But there's something so foundational and so important about this. Uh, Think for a moment. Uh, If you have a phone, and and most phones, most cell phones, aren't designed to function underwater. There are some exceptions. But for the most part, phones aren't designed to function underwater. My phone isn't. And so if I insisted and said, you know what, i just really like to take video of my scuba diving trip, and I'm going to use my phone. I know it's not made to go underwater. I know it wasn't designed to go underwater, but I insist. And so I take my phone, and I start to video underwater. It'll die. It wasn't designed to function in that way. And similarly, our Creator has designed us. God has made you a specific way, and He's given you His instructions. He's given you His desires for your life in His Word, and those instructions are for your good. It is a good thing not to bury my phone in water. It'll kill it. And God gives us his instructions for our good. He's communicating to us that the way you should live your life, the reason I'm giving you these commands is because that is where blessing, that is where joy, that is where deep satisfaction lies. And Psalm 1 gives us that. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on verse 1 in particular for this time. So I'll go ahead and reread it. Psalm 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He gives this overview of things in your life that must be removed. In this prescription for a blessed life, he starts by saying, here's what's not included. Here's what's absent from the blessed life. And he's describing this series of influences. If you look carefully at the verse, we'll go ahead and put it back on the screen. Verse 1, if you look carefully, there's a progression. He first describes someone who is walking in the way. Someone who's walking, they're walking in this poetic way, describing the way a person lives. They're walking in the counsel of those who live in opposition to God's way of living. He's walking in the advice of people who think differently and have different opinions of what is good and wise and right. And then all of a sudden, he slows down his walking, and all of a sudden, he's standing. Describes a person who's no longer walking, now standing in the way of sinners, in the way of people who are opposed to God's way of living. And then it goes a step further from walking to all of a sudden standing to then now finally sitting and planting yourself in the very seat of the scoffer, of the mocker, of the arrogant, the prideful the insistent one who says, you know what, living my way is better than living God's way. And this interesting progression where it shows the depths of influence, levels of influence that are here in this passage. So this seems to be saying then that that we are to be careful with the influences we surround ourselves with. The question we might ask is, then is this suggesting that I don't associate with anybody who believes differently or Disagrees agrees with what I believe or thinks differently? Is that what this is suggesting? Well, there's places all throughout the Bible that command us to care for, to love, to be understanding towards people who are different than us, people who believe differently than us. We're called to love even the people who would be enemies toward us. And so it's not saying to completely retract and put ourselves in a bubble. It might be helpful to think of it like this. Suppose that someone came to you With a $1 million check, $1 million check, that got your attention, right? And they had this condition, take this $1 million and in order to take it, you must pick one corporation, one company that you're going to invest all of that money in their stock, just that company for 20 years. At the end of 20 years, you can pull that out and you take the, the gains or you deal with the losses. But here's the million dollars. Now, imagine with that proposition the capacity for what could happen. Imagine if 20 years ago, if you invested in Apple stock, if you invested in Google stock, how much a million would be today in 2017. Imagine the capacity there, but also imagine the capacity for negative things. Uh, Maybe you and your family 20 years ago, you really loved a Friday night watching a movie together. So you would go to your local Blockbuster and do this thing where you look around at physical VHS boxes and you would pick one and you'd go to the counter and you'd buy one and you think, you know what, Blockbuster seems to be a pretty good idea and so you invest your million. That would not end well. In fact, uh, I checked you can buy Blockbuster stock, I believe, for a penny a share. One penny. And it's been like that for a few years. So there's incredible capacity for a good thing to happen. Incredible capacity for a bad thing to happen. But just picture how much research you would do. You would pour yourself through data. You'd talk to advisors. You'd look at their past history. You'd look at their track record. You'd examine their leadership structure, projections for the future. I mean, you would look tirelessly. Who am I going to entrust a million dollars to? This is not something you just decide because they have the nicest logo or because they had a funny commercial when you were a kid. You pour through it, you dig in, you try to investigate, why should I entrust someone, a company, with something that valuable? Here's what Psalm 1 is getting at. Psalm 1, the writer, inspired by God, is, is teaching us that our character and our, who we are as a person matters. Who you are, the person you're becoming, your character matters. It is valuable. And specifically, the influences, the things in your life that mold and shape who you are and who you're becoming matter. And giving somebody influence in your life, giving them the authority and the voice to speak into your life, whether it's a person, a news source, whatever that is, giving someone influence over your life is entrusting to them something precious. You're entrusting to them something valuable. They're going to have a say in the person you become, whether you realize it or not. He's trying to help us think, okay, I wouldn't just nonchalantly, casually say, okay, I'm going to pick that corporation. You know, I, I'll pick that one. It looks like a great thing. No, you'd pour it out. You'd investigate. So why would we then entrust to people the very people we're becoming if they aren't worthy? if they aren't the kind of people and examples that we want influencing and shaping us. For many of us, we look and examine our kids' lives, and we are ferocious about who they hang out with. We're careful about the influences that mold and shape them. And that's a good thing. But we need that same kind of intensity in our own lives. And that's what Psalm 1 is getting at. And so I, don't want, I just want to walk you through three categories of influence that are present here in Psalm 1. Because as we begin this renovation project, we're just keenly aware there's areas of our lives at a new year, we're keenly aware there's areas we want to improve, that before we can do any renovation, we have to start with demolition to make room for the new. So here are three different categories of influence that are described in Psalm 1. Here's the first one. These are the voices in your life. The voices. Look at verse 1 in the very beginning. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, the advice, the opinions, the direction of those who are living and have the belief that is contrary to God's way of living. This is describing not necessarily just the people you know, but even people beyond who you know, people you follow, personalities on talk radio, political parties, people you follow along on social media, writers and authors, any person, any voice that is shaping your opinion about important matters. And he's describing the blessed man, a prescription for a joyful life, is that you have a filter and you're sensitive to, who are these voices that are influencing my life? Who are the people that I'm entrusting to? Who are the people? Are there some people that I just kind of blindly listen to whatever they say and just hold it as though it's true no matter what? Is there a television station, that whatever they say is the proper take on what's happening in the world? Whatever that station says, whatever that news organization says, that's the standard, but the others, they're not. Or have we examined? Have we thought critically about these things? In in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, the apostle Paul, he describes this very topic, and he uses helpful language. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The days are evil. In other words, the world we live in and the people we're surrounded by, the natural tendency, the inclination is not towards sound advice. It's not towards godly counsel, That the standard default mode of the world, the days we live in, it's much more accessible to find bad counsel. I mean, you almost don't need to try to find bad advice and bad opinions on how you're to live your life. It's very easy to access. You can find it anywhere. And so Paul says, be careful. Look, examine your life, take a pause, look back. And in our our crazy, busy lives, man, it almost feels like we never get the chance to even breathe to do this. Pause. What are the voices in my life? Th- this idea of the voices that are influencing us, this would be like, as an example, this would be like if you're, if you're married or preparing for marriage, you read a book on marriage. And that author, they're giving you their take. They're saying, this is what it means to be a good husband. This is what it means to be a good wife. Here's what a marriage should look like. They're telling you, and it's, it's a little easier to identify this kind of influence. You can tell they're trying to give you a take on how to live. You can recognize it as an influence. But the second kind is not as easy to detect. The second kind is not the voices that are in your life. Uh, The second kind is the relationships. The relationships you have. Here's what the second part of this verse of the three, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. The picture here is that we have a person who has parked themselves In an environment where they're standing and where they look, the road that they're hanging out in, everywhere they turn, what their eyes observe are people who are living in ways that are contrary to God's way of living. People who are thinking in ways that are contrary to God's way of thinking. He's describing a person who's just standing in their way. They can observe. They look out with their eyes. This this is a little bit harder to detect This influence isn't necessarily someone sitting down with you and saying, hey, here's how your marriage should be. Instead, this is kind of like somebody who's showing you what their marriage is like, and as a result, it's shaping what you think about marriage. This is what you experienced when you were a kid growing up in your parents' home, in your step-parents' home. And just by observation, just based on what you saw, you made conclusions about what it means to be a husband, about what it means to be a wife, based on what you saw. Your parents never sat you down. Perhaps they did. Maybe they did. It's a good thing to do this. They sat you down and said, hey, here's how you be a husband. Here's how you be a wife. This is what marriage should be. Chances are your parents didn't sit you down and have that conversation, but they did show you. And anytime you go through a premarital counseling session, a new couple comes up with a counselor, one of the things they'll inevitably talk about is what was your experience at home observing your parents' marriage? What was your experience at home observing your step-parents? Because those observations then become what's normal to you and what you think is an expectation for your new marriage. Observation is this powerful influence. And so who are the people you spend the most time with? Who are the people that occupy that you have a lot of time where you get to observe the things they like? Observe the way they dress, observe what they do with their money, observe the things that they want approval of, or you observe what they value. Who are the people in your life you in your life you spend the most time with? I remember uh, one time I went up with a buddy to North Carolina. We were visiting his family's home, and uh, they're a Southern family, and uh, I'm a, a Cuban boy. Grew up #hashtag blessed to be a Cuban boy, and. <laughs> Uh, arroz and frijoles was just the norm every night. Arroz and frijoles. It doesn't matter what you have with it. There's always rice and beans. Can't escape it. Okay, it's coming. And so I remember growing up. This is just the staple. I'm 13 years old and I'm I'm in like the deep south. Okay, and uh, they put this huge spread. There's t-bone steaks. They do this great barbecue. There's potatoes and beans and corn and there's this delicious spread, and I go through the little line that they had set up. I get my steak, and I'm looking for the rice and beans, and I, I'm puzzled, and I go to my friend's mom, and I say, hey, where, where are the rice and beans? And she says, sweetie, we, we, don't, we don't have rice and beans. We have, we have a lot of other stuff, though, and it puzzled me. It had never come to mind. I never once thought that It's not everybody that has rice and beans all the time. That was my experience growing up. It's all I knew. And that wasn't because my parents sat down with me and said, okay, now, Justin, every dinner has to have rice and beans. That was just my experience. It's what I observed. And that often is so much more powerful of an observation. That level of influence is often far deeper and more difficult to undo. Than ones where you can tell, they're just giving me their take. They're telling me. They're giving me advice and counsel. So Psalm 1 is saying, okay, the first category, you've got to be careful with the voices that are influencing who you are. Second category, you've got to be careful what your eyes see. Be careful with the relationships, the people that are closest to you and what you observe. Be careful at what the little eyes in your home are watching. So Psalm 1 verse 1 gives us this way of thinking about who it is that we've observed, that we have these relationships that are shaping us. And here's the third category. The third category of, uh, of influence is our assumptions. Our assumptions. Look at the third part of verse 1. It says, that the, the blessed man does not sit, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here, it's describing someone who has gone beyond listening to counsels, gone beyond observing and standing in the way, to now they are sitting in the very seat of one of them. The influenced has now become the influencer. and In this case, it's for the worse. That there's this level of influence where something, you've seen it, you've heard it, and now you've internalized it. And it's almost like you don't even question its reality. For you, that's just the way marriage is. For you, that's just the norm. That's the standard. And so not only do we now live according to those ways and those assumptions, now we become champions and proponents for those assumptions. Now we start sharing those ideals and standing on those assumptions for others. And the scary part about this, the sobering part, is that perhaps without even realizing it, we can become in different areas of our lives we can become for others the way of sinners we ourselves are the one that they're standing in our way we become the ones that are influencing and pulling them in the wrong direction we've sat in the seat of a scoffer and these are far harder to detect These are assumptions that we just think they're true. We're sitting in them. We're not questioning. We're comfortable. We've parked ourselves there. We've embraced them and assumed them. And when these assumptions are built on what is not good and not wise, and in contradiction to God's ways, we set ourselves up for trouble. Now, this can sound a bit overwhelming, especially if you're here, and for you, that influence what comes to mind, even as we've been dialoguing, maybe there's a person that you just know. It's the person that's on your mind right now. Maybe for you, it's, it's a, a news source or an author. But there's something you just know and just the thought of, well, how, how do I change this? How, how do I take steps from here? That's overwhelming to think about. In a world with so many competing voices, overwhelming to think about how do I identify the wrong ones and how to actually take action on them and do something about it. And so when that is the case, when it feels overwhelming, we just need to pause and remember who God is making us to be. Remember who God is making you to be. If you've put your faith in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. He describes how God begins this process of renovation in us. That Jesus' perfect life, his sacrifice on the cross, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection makes us new. We're brand new, regardless of our past. Regardless of what we've done regardless of all the wrongs that God has made us new. In fact, God sees you. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. He sees you as perfect and holy and blameless. So if you come today and you have shame in your life, you have this guilt that's weighing down on you, then come to Christ, come to God who is faithful and just to forgive. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are righteous in his sight if we've trusted in him. And at the same time, Just as much as we're forgiven, just as much as God sees us as blameless in His sight, at the same time, we're also still works in progress. None of us have arrived. We aren't there yet. We're under renovation, and God is doing a masterpiece. He's doing a masterful work. In fact, the language that the Bible uses in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 18, God tells the prophet Jeremiah, To go to the potter's house. He tells Jeremiah, I want you to go to the potter's house and observe. I want you to watch what the potter's doing. So Jeremiah goes and he sees a potter at his wheel. And he can see this potter, uh, and it says that the clay that was on the wheel was spoiled. Something had gone wrong with the clay. And so then it describes how the potter reworked the clay, and here's the key phrase as it seemed good to him to do. The potter reworks the clay as it seems good to the potter to do, and then God turns it on Jeremiah and says, hey, Jeremiah, am I not doing the same with my people, where I am the potter and they are the clay and they're molding and shaping me, and I'm molding and shaping them as it seems good to me? And it's not the place of clay to tell the potter what their opinion is of what they should become. Like, I may really love fruit bowls, but I can't tell the potter, if I'm the clay, hey, make me a fruit bowl. He might have something else in mind. The clay's job is simply to stay on the wheel. Stay on the wheel and let the potter do his work. And here's here's what you'll find. It will always be more spectacular than you could have ever imagined. It's almost always completely different than what you thought when it started. The journey of following Christ, our process of renovation, God is up to a masterpiece and he will finish what he started. But before we can renovate, the first step in renovation is demolition. In Psalm 1:1, he tells us there's these influences. There's voices, there's people around you, there's relationships. There's things that you're sitting in that are pulling you in the wrong direction. They're pulling you away from what God has for you. They're pulling you away from his perfect design. This is the prescription for a blessed life. You need to make some room for something new to come in. So it's time to remove some of these voices, to turn down the volume and fix our eyes on the one who can mold us and shape us as it seems good to him to do. Now, if you would, uh, grab the bulletin that you got when you walked in um, and go ahead and pull that out. There's a listening guide that is in there. There's a listening guide, and uh, on the back sheet of it, there's a section that's called application, questions for application. If you'd pull that out, every week we have questions that are listed here in the bulletin and the listening guide for you to be able to take this home and consider uh, to reflect on it. It's so easy after lunch to go home and completely forget what you talked about, and so uh, this is just a way for you to reflect on it, and I want to walk you through these three questions. Last week, your homework was to memorize Psalm 1. This week, your homework is to set aside time to do these three questions. These are questions that are designed to help you do some demolition in your life. Here's the first question. List the five people that you spend the most time with and ask this question. Does their advice and example motivate you to live God's way or to live like the rest of the world? A helpful question to ask for your relationships. Will growing closer to this person help me grow closer to God? Will this person getting to know me more and me getting to know them more, will me sharing things about my life and opening up to this person and getting closer, will that result in me growing closer to God? Here's the second question that's on there. What television, radio, news, and social media voices do you regularly listen to? How has each of those voices influenced your political beliefs, your, your beliefs, politics, worldview, and actions? And this, again, could be for better or for worse. The great chance is that some of us, we have some great influences in our lives. There are some great voices in our lives. But all of us, all of us, the works in progress that we are, there are some areas that we need to do some demolition to remove some things to create space for something better. And here's the third question, the most important. Based on how you answered the first two questions, what action steps do you need to take in order to lower the volume of the negative voices in your life? Set aside some time, maybe it's tonight, tomorrow morning, set aside some time to do this. And the reason why you would want to do this, the reason why you would do something like this, even if you're someone who is skeptical about faith or still have questions about Christianity, you're not sure, the reason why you would want to do this is because, here's the thing, sin, living life in opposition to God's way, the designer's way of living, Is deadly. Sin is serious. It's destructive. That living life outside of God's design doesn't lead to the kind of blessed life that God wants for you. It's deadly. And in fact, John Owen, uh, a Puritan writer, he wrote this famous quote describing sin and its power. Look at what John Owen said. He said, Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be actively putting sin to death, or sin will be killing you, because the natural tendency is for us to kind of indulge. The natural tendency is for us to let sin rule over us. And he's saying, no, be be putting that to death, or it will put you to death. It's not just a, a small little habit. It's not just this thing that nobody else has to know about. Sin is not just a small little matter. It's not affecting anybody else. It's just me. It's not no big deal. It it is a big deal. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, this is how God describes sin. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin's desire is to have you, that there is this forward-moving motion in your heart, that sin is desiring to take over your life. This is what it means to be human in a broken and fallen world. Sin is like this lion crouching as, as though it's about to pounce on you. It's the image that God gives about sin. And so here's the thing. We can walk away today and be passive about all of this. We can walk away today and be passive towards our sin but sin will not be passive towards you. Sin will not be passive towards you. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. So sin is so serious, God is so serious about sin, that just one, one small departure from his design, one rejection of his authority, one selfish moment, one lie, one moment of gossip, one moment of pride, just one sin against an infinite and holy God is deserving of an infinite and eternal judgment. Sin is such a big deal. It's so serious that just one is worthy of an eternal torment. And yet at the same time, God is so serious about sin, at the same time, God is also so loving towards sinners that God dealt with sin. And the way he dealt with it was ultimately by taking it on the punishment himself. One sin worthy of an eternal and infinite punishment against an infinite and holy God, this infinite and holy God became finite, became a person. Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross was God absorbing the judgment that the sins of the world deserves. God taking on himself all of our selfishness, all our pride, all the lies, all the deceit, all the gossip, all you name it, taking that on himself and saying, I will pay the punishment for you. See, the cross of Jesus Christ is a banner and this massive billboard that God has put in the span of eternity and wants to declare these two things, One, sin is deadly. Sin, departing from God's design from your life, it is deadly. In fact, it is so deadly that the only way it could be dealt with was for the author of life, the creator and sustainer of everything, to die. God died. The one who created life, the author of life, died. It's the only way to deal with the deadly consequences of sin. So the cross is this message. The sin in your life is not something to toy around with. It's not a pet to tame. It's deadly. And at the same time, the cross is this beautiful invitation and demonstration of the love of a heavenly father who would say, just as deadly as sin is, I am so loving towards sinners. I will take the judgment myself the Son of God bearing the judgment in our place. And anyone who would turn from their sins, who would turn from their sins and turn towards this Savior and believe in His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His glorious resurrection from the dead, anyone who would turn to Jesus would be forgiven, made new, and begin this process of renovation where God starts a work in you that heaven it's not a result of being good enough. Heaven is not the result of anything we could ever do, attending church, praying more prayers. It's not a result of any of that. Heaven comes because of what Jesus did for us. And anyone who would turn from their sin and turn towards this Savior will be rescued, have a relationship with God, and now have the power to rule over their sin. So I can't encourage you enough. Take these questions... If sin is a serious matter and our character matters matters, and the influence we entrust to others matters, it's too valuable a thing. It's too valuable a thing to just brush off. Take some time. Carve out the time. Discuss this as a family. Answer these questions. Uh, You'll notice if you go through the questions that there's nothing to really hit on the third category that we described. We talked about the voices. We talked about the relationships, but the The questions don't really address the the assumptions. The reason is it's a little bit more challenging than a question. It takes a little more time to figure out what are those things that are deeply lodged inside of me that are dictating the way I live. That's a lifelong pursuit. Uh, In college, I had a chemistry professor who had us call him the colonel. I have no idea why he had us call him the colonel. He was not in the military. Um... But we call them the colonel. And the thing I remember most about the colonel is he would always say his favorite phrase whenever teaching a subject, he'd come back to this phrase. He'd say, nature abhors a vacuum. Nature hates a vacuum. Nature will find something to fill empty space. That the laws of physics and chemistry are such that when there's emptiness, something's going to fill it. In this series, we've talked about today this idea of demolition of removing something so we can create space for something new. So the question is, what's going to fill it? If we follow through, if we do something about it, we start to turn down the volumes of some of these competing voices to make space for something else, what then do we fill it with? And how do we do that well? That's what we're going to talk about next week. We hope you can be here with us. Now, for today, remember that the beginning, the first step, Of renovation is demolition. What things do you need to remove? What voices do you need to turn down the volume of? What needs to change? Remember, blessed, happy, satisfied, fulfilled is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you remind us and so often expose in us areas of our hearts that we don't even pause to think about. Lord, the influence that we entrust to people is a big deal. And so, Lord, I pray for courage. I pray for strength for those who need to make some difficult decisions. I pray that people would follow through that I myself would follow through, carve out the time this week and identify some of these influences in my life that need to change. I pray I'd have the courage to then do something about it. I pray the same for all of us. Now, if you're here today and with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, just in a moment of reflection, if you're here and for the first time you realized that your life, that the sin in your life, the things that you've done in contradiction to God's desire for your life, that you need a savior, then I want you to know today, the good news is that there is a savior. His name is Jesus, and he did everything that needed to be done for your relationship with God to be restored. And if you wanna begin that relationship with him, if you've never put your trust in Jesus as your savior, as the one who can rescue you, then I wanna invite you to do that right now. You can just say something like this in your heart. You can say, Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. Forgive me for living my life my own way. Forgive me from, for departing from your design for my life. I turn to you, and I receive what you did on my behalf. Your perfect life, your sacrificial death, and your glorious resurrection counted for me. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you. Give us courage this week as we seek to do some demolition. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 432 0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org